0: Namo Mo Tasa Bhagawato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Nutt Mo Tasa Bhagawato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Nutt Mo Tasa Bhagawato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Bhuddhang Dhammang Sanghamma Deathless uh, it's usually the term for the, the possibility, the fruition, the completion of practice. I think sometimes a word like goal brings up the wrong sort of energies or ideas. You start to become something and really it's really a maturation of fruition, you know, the deathless. So this is, in some way, quite obviously one would say this is through letting go of birth and death. And to really understand what a, what, we, what this is about, letting go is a particular uh, volitional experience of relinquishment, of, of abandonment, which requires a trust, it requires precision, it's not a sloppy sort of thing, it's a precise recognition of a point of holding, of grasping, of wanting, of not wanting, of resisting, of these kinds of tensing up, contracting energies and then somehow through, through skill, through cultivation, the ability through the fruition of the practice to be able to just touch into that contracting energy and release it. Mm. So this is the heart of our practice in smaller and greater ways, is, is this. Um, and so the big picture is, is letting go of birth and death equals deathlessness. So this, we have to obviously understand what is meant by birth and death, birth, the big, Physical birth, physical death—what these really mean as here and now experiences. Mm -hmm. The experience of assuming that that right now we could perhaps we don't probably don't remember being born. Maybe we do physically. Most of us, I would suggest, don't. But we have that assumption. Born, so this is because this body sort of came out of a womb. Well, here I am. This is me. I'm born. This is a kind of assumption. Um, and then one day we will die. you have seen other bodies, people die. Dead body, you know, stopping the vitality, life, function, the death. So, so, this is this is what I am. I'm one of these two. So, uh, this is uh, but then when you really begin to, say, just focus on, hey, what are you now? <laughs> you know, like, you know, that, that's what we can say about the future and the past. What are you now? Are you that now? You know, and you, see, you draw attention, what you do is say you. No. You draw attention on your mind, uh, what's happening. Then there's some sort of experience which is not. Um just about being attentive and aware, there's an awareness there, isn't there? So whenever one really asks that question, Hey you, you know, where are you or what are you about? Then there's an immediate kind of riffling through the realms of thought and perception and feeling and you know, physical form is something that one quite readily recognises, well it's, it's there but I'm not it, you know, it's it maybe belongs to me or is around me, but you know, there's some sort of recognition of or well, primarily being a consciousness or some awareness. And that awareness is very often agitated and, and tangled up and occluded and excited. Or, you know, it seems to be that, that, that then the more clear one gets, one can really begin to contemplate, you know, notice, oh, there's a feelings and moods, aren't there? That's not what I am. That's, that's something I can witness. I can watch that. I can note that. I can, to a certain extent, um, govern it. Yeah. I can modulate it. I can learn to relax a bit. I can learn to pick up an idea and thought. I can learn to relinquish an idea and thought. And this is something that can be done. So if we, if you're just using the word I am, then most accurately one would say it applies to that particular possibility. And the more, and you see how, the, say, uh, for much of the in conventional life perhaps that possibility is not really used very much or enhanced very much or talked about very much the language and the indoctrination tends to be very much you are a body and uh, you know you are you are feelings and emotions and moods and thoughts and they better be good the right ones otherwise you are going to be in trouble so that's, that's the kind of uh, message, isn't it? So because of that, we're automatically kind of tensed up about it all. So that the ability to, say, just look at it in a more relaxed, objective um, perspective, you know, that ability really rests upon some kind of you know, trust and ease and, and, uh, and, and direction and motivation to do that, such as a Buddha gives such as a, a spiritual teacher will give of any religion really so then maybe we just begin to get some kind of seed intuition that perhaps that awareness of feelings, moods, thoughts forms, bodies, experiences perhaps that awareness is more core a core experience but again, you know, for, for um, an, an untrained person, or even for someone who's in the training, you know that this that awareness is so is so automatically associated, you know, there's feelings and thoughts. It's it's really it's really conjoined, and uh, you never really seem to be able to to sort of you know draw it out of that. So there's awareness. It's awareness of a feeling or a thought, and the tendency is, is to be, strongly conditioned and motivated into, into into identifying oneself, measuring oneself upon the quality of the feeling or the thought. You know, that's the bias, isn't it? Not you're aware of it. Not you're aware of feeling upset and angry. Just you are feeling upset and angry. Yeah. You know. So this uh, this is a, a, a rare direction. So perhaps we just kind of get a feeling, that it could be that way. And yet, there's such strong tendencies, social and personal tendencies, to 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 look the other way. Mm. But one would suggest that you know, if anybody's that that it's going to be somewhere around there, isn't it? That's going to be the the, the area of practice. In, in awareness, and of course, um, the more the, the more the one does cultivate and begin to to um, exp- live in a domain, social and personal domain, where the feelings and thoughts are something one can sustain awareness of; they're not so um, occlusive and distracting and maddening that you, you you can't get focus on it then this possibility say of the the um, spiritual training you know, and, and living in the spiritual domain personally and socially um, this this is an extremely valuable possibility for us. Because without that, how you know how would it be possible? To to sustain clear awareness, and then but within that, and this is the whole point of say of the kind of the and the sense restraint and so on, is so that one can actually instead of that awareness being a kind of something that's that's secondary, it becomes primary because then one can be more very very fully aware of a thought or a feeling when it's something that that's that's you're able to be aware of it. it's not um, so reactive and, and, and destructive that, that it continually shakes off that possibility. So, really, to be able to, to focus on what is it that you can most fully sustain awareness with in a really full and complete way, you know, pragmatically speaking, not theoretically, would it be nice to be sustained awareness of like ecstasy or something, but actually. <laughs> prag- Practically speaking, it's going to be something that's kind of calm, isn't it? You know, just take this out yourself. It stays still long enough for you to be able to kind of really, you know, give uh, attention to it. Not something that's kind of all over the place. And it's something that that, uh, one can approach. So if it's very fearful or tight or contracted, then it's more difficult, isn't it? There's some, some sense of some relaxation there and ease <laughs> because if, if the if the mind state the one is experiencing is tight and contractive then it's very you know practically speaking very difficult to kind of bathe you know to really fulfill awareness of that uh, it's it's a kind of prickly hostile state it, it. yeah I wouldn't say that it's impossible and I would say also that in the graduated, practice that you know, these un- afflictive states are things that one can only reduce to a certain extent through the domain one lives in, and then it is through the, that, that kind of rare and uh, special trust and confidence and mindfulness to really to try to bring full awareness onto afflictive feelings is one way in which the cycle of them creating themselves and it begins to be lessened and one can kind of begin to kind of ease up some of these experiences but the idea in easing them up is so that they cease to occur it's not that you want to actually have more of them (laughs) now if we come to say uh, play, uh, an agreeable personal domain of experience where where you know the, the, one can actually begin to contemplate things in a more essential nature. In other words, there's less of um, less karma propensity. There's less the feelings to the thoughts and the moods that occur. Are less violently creative. Um, they don't send the mind into a whole lot of proliferation, they don't agitate the mind, they don't darken the mind, they tend to be calming and easeful and steadying. They're things that to a certain, you know, to a lesser or greater degree, they're things that one can actually begin to contemplate as a feeling or a thought or whatever it is. And then you, you see with what the five kanda about to be able to experience a form as a form rather than something that immediately you see something it sets such a powerful reaction of terror or, or excitement in your mind that you can't you know that you don't really see it as a form anymore it just immediately becomes a signal for a reaction. So what you experience when you experience a form a visual form or a sound is just is, is that, that form translates into passion of some kind fear or, 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 or desire. So that the form is not seen no longer experienced as a form, it's just there as a catalyst for a whole state of agitation and excitement. But experience of form as a form, you know, requires a sort of a, 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 a the you know, the, the mind has got some some equilibrium in it. This is a form. And then you maybe it be at a certain degree of of positive or neutral Interest or, or or negative interest in that form. So in the again, the getting that kind of um, you know the awareness of the the changeability of form. Form is really like a flickering flame that can't really sustain. It must always move to so something new that you really looks new and delightful and wonderful you know with a bit of reflection one can consider well this is something that eventually is a to deteriorate and you can't actually have it either so there are of course a lot of the practice is is, gonna, is, is, is around this just translating objects into forms there's a certain, that's not a denial of an object that's a clear witnessing of what the object is in its Fundamental characteristic is of the nature to be formed, mm. so that means you're actually fully aware, rather than aware with all kinds of other little um, agendas going on. Mm. It's not a reduction of awareness, and I think that's that's an important thing because it's when we it's this process tends to seem reductive. It's reductive in terms of what's called puncture or diversification. It's actually um, enriching and enlarging in terms of awareness. So, for example, if we continue to see all the different details of a form, how this is different from that, and that's this, and this is red, and that's green, and that's blue, and, 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 and this is shape, and Then, what happens to actual ability to of, of aware of, to be steadily aware? It, it's like you're throwing so many pebbles in the pond, it's all ripple. And then the, 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 you get this kind of volitional tendency of fascination, thinking about it, remembering it, comparing it with others, how you're going to get hold of it, how you don't want it, how it should be this way and that way. So the, the quality of awareness actually is like a pond and it ripples. And yet you'd also recognise that, that form there's a seed of awareness in the experience of form you know if there's a form you're aware of it so it's not one should not be aware of form but be aware of form as form fully aware of form as form this is the fulfilment of awareness this is why it's said that the fulfilment of awareness of form is to see the emptiness of form it means form is just form it doesn't have all this stuff happening around it and the essence of form is the essence of awareness which is (laughs) now what we can recognise about um, um, material objects Visual objects, for example, is that they certainly come and go. Bodies move around. Cars move up and down lanes. Birds fly through the sky. Something comes and it goes. It rises and ceases. It's this process, and you can liken this to birth and death in a very simple way. Mm-hmm. Comes, it goes. It's got that cycle to it. But if you um, watch a bird, you know, something, a bird fly through the sky or whatever, and it disappears, and that bird's gone, does, it, does is there no more form? Or is it just that then you notice the tree or the sky? Mm-hmm. Or you look somewhere else? So does the disappearance of a material object doesn't mean that the form disappears in essence. Now it may be that form goes to a subtle, subtler form, the experience of form goes, becomes subtler. So one closes one's eyes, there's no visual form, and you get subtle form, you get immaterial form arises, doesn't it? Thoughts, things take form in the mind base. And maybe those are quite coarse at first, you get discernible mental objects and feelings, but then through the process of meditation you can... Um, through the skills of, of of sati and samadhi, you can quietly, don't you get subtle form, things that are barely, you know, are very subtle forms like a sort of glowing form, uh, a bright form, a subtle sound in the in the inner ear, a subtle sight in the in the inner eye, if you like, a sense of space. You get these subtle forms, and you get um, things which are called formless. So when you close your eyes and you look at the back of your eyelids, there's no particular form. Yet it's certainly the experience of something, visual consciousness being primed. But you get the formless. So you've got this form, and that the formless is the is the base for any kind of subtle form or gross form that rises out of that. So really what one is beginning to experience when you contemplate observe form as form is that form doesn't end, it just changes, it goes through various shapes and patterns, it goes from this particular material object to that material object it goes from this material object to an immaterial object it goes from an immaterial gross form to an immaterial subtle form and it can go to formlessness, so it modulates so in this sense Beginnings and endings, in terms of form, is really is really not a true statement. Change is a true statement. Now, if you contemplate something like your your breath, and you look at the, the feeling associated with the breath, and you're able through sustained awareness to be very fully aware of the breathing process, so your mind doesn't move away from it, stays with it, and the particular sensations feelings and perceptions that one associates and calls breathing. Now, if we think about it, we imagine lungs and nostrils and air. This is just an idea. True idea, but it's an idea. Direct experience of breathing is what is that? It's a particular, tangible, palpable feeling. It's experienced in, the, in that way. It's sensation rather than... Well, feeling sensation to be less um, technical about it and that sensation has got certain connotations to it you know it's not somebody standing on your toe it's sensing that's happening here it's breathing call it breathing that's the perception that's the way that that those sets of, of sensations are cognized breathing and it goes through certain patterns that we call rising, uh, breathing in and breathing out, or contracting and expanding. And if it goes like that, you're all right. If it keeps expanding, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> after all, <while. laughs> if it keeps contracting, it's fine. Right. So you've got this kind of nice flow You recognise that and you feel safe. <laughs> or is it one of those happening, and. And then in that process, the more that one deconstructs the various notions that carry around, because if you, as, you as you focus on these things, then this becomes superfluous, or your breathing becomes superfluous. Um, you know, it's not necessary. There's, you've just got something like a, a tangible experience. And there's a cycle to it, isn't there? it? Kind of, there's an arising, and then it stops. And then there's a, another kind of quality arising, one we could call it uh, breathing in, one we could call breathing out but really what one can experience is you get this kind of seemingly a a range of sensations and then a period when there's a kind of pause but in that pause point you can't say there's nothing there, There's there's certainly a sensation, something is felt and there's a perception so even when the, there's apparently, you know, the breathing is not occurring, it doesn't, you know, the idea that, the, that there's a stopping to it ultimately is really not the case. There is this process of arising and ceasing, and the experience of the ceasing of something on the physical level is, can, be, can be experienced, not nothing. It's experienced. It's a kind of mode of stillness. It's a mode of potential. Hmm. This is just kind of talking in its physical terms. When we, and then, it, uh, when you feel something, then feeling pleasant and unpleasant, and then it is neutral. Is there ever a case when there's no feeling? No, no feeling at all, material, physical, or mental. Or is it the pleasant feeling, and maybe less pleasant feeling, and then very really subtly okay feeling, and then ooh, unpleasant feeling. Then it goes from the body to mind, and it's dependent on what eye contact, or touch contact, or taste contact. This is so the realm of feeling. I would suggest, Moan, doesn't end. It goes through a a process of arising and changing and ceasing. So one can't call the neutral feeling, no feeling. You can't say this is the end of feeling. This is neutral feeling. You can't say the pauses between the breath are the end of breath. It's the midpoint. So this is just to kind of bring up a a way of, of considering the process of birth and death, arising and ceasing, to be a relative rather than ultimate process, rather than ultimate experience. Something that you can know now, not about what happens when you die or what happened when you were born, but something you can know right now is arising and ceasing is not a statement about ultimate truth, it's a statement about conventional appearance of things. So if that's the statement about conventional appearance of things, what's the absolute experience of things? This is what deathlessness means. The deathlessness encompasses and embraces birth and death, birth and death, and arising and ceasing, there is an awareness of that. There's awareness of stopping. Mm -hmm. It can be. If at that moment of stopping or neutral feeling, attention didn't waver and go off into something else. Mm -hmm. So the really uh, crucial uh, key to the uh, for the experience of the five kandhas, there is this, this sankara which is to do with uh, what your mind makes of things, the mental activity, karmic activity, activity, the bias, the trembling, the irresolution, the wavering, the reactiveness, uh, the wrong view the continual inclination the seeking out of something satisfactory in birth and death the assumption that's all there is the assumption that this is oneself the assumption that it's something to be protected from or annihilated or treasured this is so this assumption This is the wrong view, and this is what continually instigates the separation of experiences, the non-merging into the deathless, the non-letting go into it, the continual pulling out from that possibility into this feeling and that feeling, and the separateness of things and the discursiveness of things, and the here and there of things, and the me and you of things, and the good and bad of things, and the ups and downs of things. These are the important things from that point of view. But they are the unsatisfying things. Because they are, birth and death has to be unsatisfactory, because it's, it's... rolling, it can't be still it can't be stable the, the, the key to these is is uh, mental activity which one can look at heart activity assumption activity you say it's not just the intellectual activity, it's the whole gravitational training or conditioning of it of awareness. So awareness is certainly within or experience conjoined with feeling. You can't say you're not aware of feeling. It's conjoined with these things, there's nothing wrong with them. The problem is that one doesn't that the non sustaining of the correct balance, the correct vision and insight of the emptiness of feeling of its non-acquisitiveness of its non-attractiveness of its non-repulsiveness of its non-identification so letting go is really letting go of that of the sankhara of the mental formation the mental activity the psychological activity this is something that's not done easily, overnight. It's a training, a maturing. If we consider the Sankara to have these, let uh, talk about the three primary headings. Intention and Chaitanya. Volitional quality. This is quite obvious, quite clear drive, reaction, attraction, repulsion, proliferation, agitation, denial, suppression. These are volitional tendencies. These are karmic tendencies. These are things that we inherit. These are things that we get trained in. These are things we get indoctrinated in. These are things that we favor and use. And the more we favour and use them, the more clearly defined we experience ourselves as being. Not necessarily a pleasant state of being, but we know who we are. You know, we're identified with this volitional quality, bad and good. So it can be very wretched. And it gives, but because of its repetitive quality moment after moment experience the experience of life is translated through that mode we seem to be permanent because it's continuing you go through the same patterns time and time again over this and over that and here and there with him and with her so what else can you say this is me (laughs) and uh um mm. So this is intention, but notice that intention depends upon some particular. something to to has to be has to be triggered off by something, you know. So there's a field of a of a of what we call attention or manasikara, which means there's some kind of object, subtle, gross, material, immaterial, thought, heard, sound, touched, that acts as the trigger for intention you hear something and it reminds you and perception is the translator and right in between that you've got the point the third which is contact impression, passa. and this is significantly of two kinds, very significant because you've got the basic rudimentary sense contact which is acknowledgement of touch and then there's what your mind makes of it which is what we call the Anivajinapasa, or the, 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 the designation contact. That's nice. Mm? You know, so that you mind, and then from that mental impression arises the whole dimension of how we cognize and experience and take an object into ourselves, struggle with an object, wrangle with an object, delight in an object, and we're delighting really with resonances, in our own awareness, kind of so we're delighting in, it, in these resonances of of, of uh, impression, and of course we're also disturbed by them. So you got this process happening, and so that attention and that contact impression stimulates certain qualities of intention, one's attracted, one's repelled, one worries about it, one feels guilty. Um, and then the whole thing goes on and on because the intentions then set up certain certain immaterial objects like doubt, worry, memory, thought, and then we do the same process again goes on and on and on. So you get this kind of, well this is where that the, these are rightly called karma formations because they're formed by karma in the realm of karma, in the realm of action, in the realm of this karmic experience of being having a body, which is very powerful karma, human body, and uh, having friends and relatives and so on, and being here and being there and all that. This is the karma in its root form. And these are the karma formations in that they arise from that base and they will tend to give rebirth in that base, you will tend to be still focused on that base, you will still tend to see yourself in that realm, you will tend to try to find make yourself happy in that realm, you will very much identify with that realm, and your activities and mind will be very much inclined towards worrying about it, trying to sort it out, make it good, avoid the nasty bits in it. So this is the, is the, the, the way the world arises, this is the karma formation. And so naturally this is where... So this is birth, this is rebirth, this is going into it again. This is how it happens. And the main thing is not that it's pleasant or even un- unpleasant, but that the solidification of awareness into me is the, is the core problem. That it, could be ple- that it could not be pleasant or unpleasant is impossible. It must be pleasant and unpleasant. This is it's impossible. So, if we're looking for some kind of ethereal realm where there's none of this happening, then we're looking for a turtle with a mustache. It's going to be pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. This is this is the scan. So, that there should be no feeling is impossible. That there should be no perception is impossible. That there should be no form is impossible. and that form could ever sustain one one mode is impossible and that feeling could ever be a one mode is impossible and it could ever be the absence of those is impossible so even the, the mindset that keeps imagining there are no forms is really just delusion and denial or that forms don't matter is delusion and denial and the perceptions don't count is head in the sand because even the the residual quality of neutral feeling is still a feeling and the quality of of subtle form is is still in the wrong form And, uh, though this is perhaps rather speculative, the Buddha would say even the inclination towards formlessness is rebirth into the formless realms. So even that isn't isn't deathless either. So in no point of this cycle of arising and stopping and re-arising is there any escape from it or is there any foundation in it. It's neither something you can actually rest in, nor is it something you can actually get out of in that way but only through this experiencing of the quality of awareness that manifests through this five kundas could they be the realigning of attention and intention into awareness rather than into these um, apparently out there experiences Now, so if we um, consider, you know, so for someone who, who practices meditation, you get a chance to really focus on a, a contact impression, breath, for example, bodily feeling. And, to, and certainly a, the training is very much one in which the attention is, is held steady. It's a steadying of attention, it's a calming of attention. And being pragmatic, we try to find some kind of object that's possible to achieve that with, and it's not too painful, so it's not that's manageable. So, you know, uh, many people would recommend breathing in and out. Um, It's not that easy, but uh, it does mean that to do for an object like that, which is kind of calm and steady that there's a whole real recognition of the training of your your intention, has to get up, has to be capable of that. Mm. Has to both relinquish certain things, um, impatience, um, dullness, restlessness, things like that, distractedness, and has to bring up certain things, eagerness, willingness, Mindfulness, investigation, joyfulness—you know—bring up this kind of quality. So it is the kind of a basis for the relinquishment and the and the non-arising of its unskillful for uh, dhammas, patterns, behavior patterns, and the arising of skillful behavior patterns. So we could say this is the skillful ones that we call the, the bhoganga. Unskillful ones are hindrances. So, this very kind of core process that we work on for decades. You know, until there is the, you know, the really the quality of intention is becoming richer and more sustained and more, more like just aware rather than angled and biased and fractured and grasping and cantankerous you know? so it starts to get a little richer and fuller yeah. so you, you get a way in which the pure quality of awareness rather than all the dissipative motivations that awareness gets programmed into that pure quality of awareness is being sustained and, and deliberately encouraged to manifest through this sankhara this intention so, so the, the pure heart we would say using it a kind of metaphor bright pure heart is the or they chitta when the chitna the chitta actually becomes bright and pure so and this is the kind of the uh, basis so you then really see that that it's not. There's no. In, there's no intention there. It's, attention has aligned itself, not with details of change, not with this particular sensation, nor has it rejected any particular sensation. It's not gone into denial or affirmation. It's not gone into death and birth, rejection and holding. It's actually something whereby those It's willingly acknowledged those, so those forms of change have then become subsumed. One's seen a basic underlying pattern. One is one is abiding in an underlying pattern that's within which things can arise and cease. And um, the uh, so this is what's meant by like the 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 allaying and the cessation of of of, of volitional tendencies is there? I mean, they they are not arising in a kind of um, in this particular um, grasping way, the stopping of the grasping. the consciousness and the the letting go of consciousness is comes around through through that through that experience through the cultivation of that and this is perhaps you know a kind of fine point um, that you know, it's, it's uh, the point to so just Needs to kind of have a, some sort of register of so your consciousness is when it's activated, a normal experience of consciousness when you look at it in a primary way is, is here and there, me and it. I am the conscious subject, everything else is the conscious object. So it's this kind of thing, and that seems to be static, standard, read experience reality. And based upon that, of course. I am static thing, and even if the objects come and go, there's always some kind of object. There's a world we call it, changing world in changing forms, but it's basically there always, and I am here always, or whatever I may change. But basically, the process of me is going on. So even for the the mind that's uh, that's bright and aware, it still tends to experience it in that in that way, kind of sense of being something. And then there are, say, some kind of state, refined, subtle state that one is experiencing. But the steadying of, of that process of, of attention and intention means that you, you, you can really begin to more clearly see that, that at the point of any specific contact, any contact, you know, if it's a subtle object or an object, you know, it's a discerned object. There's a whole there's this there's this whole kind of realm of perception arises. And the clear the closer the more you get down to actually getting right to the point of contact rather than the things that one's mind makes out of it, you can see there's a kind of tendency there. The mind kind of there's a tension rocks around that point. Moving into it, moving away from it, and then you know experiencing different qualities of feeling around that. There's a, there's a kind of rocking of Finish here. you We're of doing something like and, and have, uh, You see there's a kind of tendency there the mind kind of there's a tension rocks around that point moving into it moving away from it and then you know experiencing different qualities of feeling around that there's a, there's a kind of rocking around that and it's always you, you begin to recognize that the real essence of it is that it's wanting to have something you know or wanting to move away from something you get right down to the kind of basic core experience of birth and death becoming and not becoming so the the kind of subtle refined feeling oh, yeah, you know i mean nice to have that you know or, or to, to, to eliminate things and it's the stopping of those activities whereby the consciousness is the stopping of the here and there you get something more like a kind of holistic experience through the relinquishment of that of a view. If this is if this is experience, then there isn't anything more that can be done, because then there isn't, you know, there's such. There isn't more that can be done, because the the very Set up of activity. You know, there is no polarization. There can't be any dynamic anymore. So the this is a kind of. That this experience of a consciousness of the of the one of nibbana is like is this when there's no here and there, no subject, no object. So that that is experienced, the experience of of deathlessness. And uh, for of course for most, if not all of us, then uh, you know, this is just something to, to bear in mind. There is a practice path, but essentially that, that every, every step of realization reminds one of a simple truth, that, that the reality, the actual absolute reality is experienced at any moment of letting go. This is what the final accomplishment is, is the perfection of letting go to the point of that relinquishment of that activity in consciousness. So that's actually a total relinquishment of self-interest, if you like, of getting away from something or getting into something, of being something or being nothing, of having an angle. Mm -hmm. So that's in its kind of really refined and core and ultimate point. And we can also recognize that that's also right there at the beginning of the training, isn't it? There's some sense in which the greed and the, and the aversion to be something that one recognizes, this is not worthy of me. This is something to go beyond. Um, one takes steps to, to limit and to curtail and to try to understand those things with the aim so that, that there can be a relinquishment of that. So there is definitely a, a path. And uh, the path is always signposted with this particular feature, this which we can use this phrase. You know, so where everyone is experienced, this particular phrase, if it's understood properly, is a very helpful key. Um, and it doesn't mean rejection, it doesn't mean not having, it doesn't mean denial. It means that the volitional quality, which is tensed up, which is moving away, which is galloping into, you can cut, you can drop it, it can be relaxed. So letting go is a kind of, you know, if you want to use a proper metaphor, it's a relaxation of the will rather than the kind of suppression of the will. Mm. So, of course, this is where um, you know, anyone who enters spiritual training enters with some kind of inclination that they, they're they prepared to, the act of faith, if you like, is already a relaxation. It's a sense of one's uh, personal, uh, um, or one's prepared to train oneself. In other words, I'm not going to follow every thought and feeling I have, I'm gonna to listen to somebody else, I'm gonna train under something, I'm gonna give myself to something. Yeah. You know? And that's a relaxation of the will. It doesn't mean I'm stupid, or well, it means that I'm capable of relaxing my will and maturing into something that I that is right for my benefit. It doesn't mean I'm stupid and useless and an idiot. So that that kind of bowing into is actually a graciousness. It's not a subjugation. So, this is uh, where um, it becomes very important to keep checking these things out. Because of course, it's with uh, the dominant, um, you know, birth wishes and death wishes get caught up with this. Uh, even you know, whatever system techniques and ideas one brings up so that very often the death wish gets caught up with letting go. I Means kind of smash, suppress, reject, give up, um, you know, die, sort of um, attitude. Um, And, you know, or we can think letting go of me some kind of, uh, letting go of all the restrictions, so going, you know, letting go of my uh, my, uh, inhibitions. And uh, so then it becomes a birth experience, doesn't it? You uh, know, it's sort of freak out. I'm <laughs> really letting go of everything now. Yay! <laughs> so this is this this is this is birth again, isn't it? It's a kind of another. It's that affirmation of that particular quality. Yeah. So you know, this isn't really letting go. Yeah. Letting go is is, is uh, an honouring of awareness. And a, and a, a letting go of, of these compulsions. Well, they need to be compulsive about anything, you know. Into, hey, what's happening? What's that about? You know, I can look, you know. I'm capable of looking at I don't have to have a stand on it. Mm. So this is letting goes, Is if you like, it's, it's associated with wisdom, you know, real intuitive awareness wisdom not some kind of intellectual judgment and bias or learning so you get this sila and then you cultivate morality, you get sense restraint you cultivate this and this is something because uh, naturally if you, if you begin to cultivate awareness then you realise that though awareness is inherent in every Sense field, in every uh, sense object or, or, or sense experience, it gets much clearer and brighter. If there isn't an excitement, and an agitation, and a, and, a, and a whole investment into sense experience, so it's it's like, you know, that sense restraint is just how to how to ride on the sense realm without drowning in it. Without kind of seizing it or drowning in it it's that balancing so one lives one can live in this way the words perhaps have an unfortunate tendency one can live composed, one can live collected, one can live the Buddha says with vigilance, with attentiveness over the senses, not inattention, not a repressive attention, not a subjective attention but a, but a, a proper aware and honouring attention over the senses from this, without this then these are inherent in meditation and without this there is no real meditation meditation is is the cultivation that proceeds with that kind of wisdom or understanding and that that experience it, con- it conjoins with it, and often we begin in a haphazard way with a bit of meditation, and then kind of finally a bit of morality, and then eventually a little bit of sense restraint in the meditation. You know, it kind of goes on and on like that. Uh, and uh, uh, so, what is loosely termed meditation is, first of all, I think, kind of like um, therapy, really. And at first, we probably do something more like therapy. Uh, which is about achieving a quality of wholeness, that the reckless habits are relinquished, they were able to abandon them, and the compulsions of guilt, fear, worry, um, in, in these things are, are abandoned, we've passed through that. So, uh, you know, this kind of, we could say that the therapy aspect of meditation is something to, to, to value and recognize, you know, um, whereby one is beginning to realize, you know, the, the feeling of not being wanted or being judged or being inadequate or um, these kinds of things. Hey, that's how I'm doing that, you know. Hmm, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? How's it happening? And then, uh, you know, as when to see these kind of tendencies to be able to kind of Relinquish them. And, and this is something that is done, say, in meditation, but also um, through the context, the personal and social context. And one is certainly fortunate if we have a, a Kalyanamitta context of spiritual friends where we are at least triggering off, or deliberately, or, you know, triggering off too much of our, our own kind of neurotic or. Traumatic tendencies, of um, the the ideal of, of this is what sangha is, but the uh, sangha really, its fullest and most useful term really means um, uh, people who have uh, realised truth to some degree. So they're not just a. Uh, it's not a convention. It's not like you you sign up to join the sangha. You can you can you can join the you know the, the conventional sangha, but really. The conventional sangha is is less a lesser refuge, and um, sometimes <laughs> sometimes its mm-hmm. refuge quality can uh, be relatively thin. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the, the, the real refuge, of course, is the what they call the noble sangha, and this this in a way then kind opens it up to, because you, everybody can be in it theoretically. Um, you know, it's not it's not a monastic order is a quality of heart. And and but then the good fortune of the conventional sign is that at least one is in a kind of setup which is which is aimed and reminds us of this more fully, of this possibility more fully. And living morally. So just coming back to that, you know. So that these things can one can actually achieve a sense of Ease and not needing to perform and achieve and become and be, you know prove oneself or one's accepted, one's welcomed. It's you know these kinds of work out. Why why it doesn't feel like that way, you know. So the, I think one thing to to this this working place workplace of this of the sangha as a convention is really to to. Um, you know, to be able to recognise the specific, hearing domestic details. When we're not being like that, when we are saying stupid things to each other, when we are covered with hurtful remarks, or put down, or blaming and shaming, and niggling and backbiting, and to, to be accountable for this. When we are being careless and uh, attention is skimpy, and so the, the, the training in a monastery like this is certainly not all my responsibility, something that I can do or can monitor, I can only suggest it. It's a group experience, it's a group activity. I think there's, so there's, conventionally speaking, there's quite a lot of instruction, how to be fully, fully aware, say, using the example of, of eating one's food not to be not aware of it, not to have an idea about you know, uh, food is, is this way or that way, but to be very fully aware of it, beyond just the feelings and the compulsions and the attitudes and the carelessness and the negligence and the uh, greediness and the and this, so you're very fully aware of what actually that comprises, moment by moment experiences of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, of interest, and lack of it. Sometimes eating food is extremely boring um, particularly when you've know when you've got past the exciting bit and you're just kind of poking away right at the end. If you want to get past it and get out and get you, clean your bowl, and it's more interesting, do something else, go for a walk and have a rest so you can kind of get through this and get out. But The training is very much one to just steady up through the whole thing so there's a steadying of attention through that. You don't rush and you don't rush out you don't kind of scrape, bang, clatter. You do things steadily and mindfully. It's worth it. This is your life. Every moment of that. There's no point. There's nothing else apart from what you have in the present. So the, the idea, of kind of the the compulsion to rush through or to resist, is just foolishness. You you do so like washing your arms bowl. If, you, if you was fully aware of what that experience is about—not just in terms of you know having an open mind, but actually it's the really way you hold it and you clean it, and what it really, what really an arm's bowl would benefit from—you know—if it was so treated, they use this kind of phrase, treating it like it's the skull of the Buddha, which for some people might be the well, skull of the Buddha, somewhat. <laughs> or most one's most precious beloved object. You know, and this is—it's—it's it's, you know, stainless steel arms bomb. You could throw rocks at it, it wouldn't really damage it. But in you know, that kind of way in which one's attention is fully with that, so that the more full your attention is on something, and the more your intention is just to really be with that, then you realise that in that quality there isn't any dogma, and there's no compulsion, and there's no this is what I've got to do, and there's no I'm a good monk because I'm doing it properly. And there's no, nobody else is doing this right. Because all that, there isn't room for that if you're really fully aware of it. All that judging and opinionatedness, or the feeling of, oh, I've got to do it this way, why are silly things, I've got to do it this way, I want to hurry up. Then you're not fully aware, are you, of of, of doing that, of of what your focal object is. So this is where, you know, the process of mindfulness to me is really. Filling the mind, giving the mind's awareness very fully to an object beyond, say, the, the kind of opinions and, and uh, pressures that one can bring into that activity. And many, many things can be said about mindfulness, many good things. Um, but these recognize there's such a thing as wrong mindfulness. As right as sama sati and mitta sati, right and wrong. And I would suggest that wrong mindfulness is when there's no. It's called sampajanya, which means your mindfulness is focused on. Hey, you're mindful of this point now. Yeah. So if you're washing your arms bowl, it's not about being mindful of a thought in your mind. It's about you know this is this is the point now. Being specific. So when mindfulness is actually specifically pointed. In terms of purpose, in terms of where it should be about, then we could say the sampajanya. And so accordingly, you know, if you're doing one thing to be mindful of that. If you if you can't be mindful of that, or you know, if it's important to be mindful of something else, then you shouldn't be doing it really. So sampajanya is the thing that determines the the point of mindfulness. This is where it, it's um, in the in the kind of conventional arena. Sampajanya is a really important thing to recognise. What's the purpose of this meeting? What's the purpose of this particular event? Um, you know, to really explore that. We can do it with things like this. Then, um, so write speech. Involves quite a lot of sampajanya. Right relationship to people involves quite a lot of sampajanya. You know, these kind of people here. And, um, you know, one can familiarize with people to the point in which there's no appropriate sampajanya. There's not a specific point of attention, just the kind of you know, one's, one's attention towards another person because they represent one familiarity object. You know, is Sam, who I like, you know, is my mate, I have jokes with, or this is so and so who I've got a particular feeling or view about, and you kind of, when, in other words, these beings become draped uh, with, with these kind of stale perceptions, and the way in which the permanence and the, and the this kind of abstraction. Of, of human beings, into objects which provide us with a feeling of familiarity, safeness, um, friends, enemies, uh, manipulation, manipulations and things like that. Comfort objects, um, even unpleasant familiarities. This is so and so is I feel worried about. This is so and so. Annoys me," so and so. She's like this, and he's like that. They're you know, unpleasant, you know. Y- y- that kind of way in which you've already got a predisposition and a perception is already l- blotted onto that person, so that that your actual possibility of having a direct, specific contact in the moment is very much hindered by what one has brought into that. So uh, uh, certainly our life as Summers should be that which which recognises this very strong uh, tendency in human beings to to formulate other human beings in our minds, to carry them around in our minds, to formulate them and then why we do that. You know, why we grant substance to perceptions. This is this kind of where the quality of substantiality in terms of an object is there to bring around a quality of substantiality in a subject. So sunyata and anata, or emptiness and selflessness, are really two expressions that relate to the letting go of attention objects and letting go of intention objects. Terms of things like right speech and right relationship. I think this is a very uh, profound area for a community like this to to work upon. And uh, you know, so, essentially, you know, we have kind of meetings and non-meetings, but then to recognise what what's the purpose of this. Mm-hmm. What's the point? What's the, what are we doing now? If we are, say, ta- discussing things with each other, then how does that work best? Not, here's my chance to kind of, you know, dump everything on anybody else, or, or I can't say anything, whatever. What actually works best in, in that context? And how do you, how, or individually, how do we relate? How do we relate to people? Do we carry in a kind of idea of who they are? Or are we prepared to actually relate consciously to the perception in the mind of who they are? And to acknowledge it it's a perception. And if it's an unfortunate perception, to work with that. It's an afflicted perception, to recognise how that's arising. If it's arising something that's my responsibility, can I deal with it? Or is it something that, that person actually does, or could be reminded of? Like you know, when you say it like that, this is what it feels like to me. In that, just in that kind of way of acknowledgement—not you shouldn't or you should—but it's like that. So that there's some sense of, of of speech that's purposeful and tending towards awareness and emptying out stored-up perceptions. And this, I think, in terms of relationship, is quite courageous, and uh, um, and and very liberating. So when we, just kind of recognize that when you address somebody, you are addressing your perception in your mind. There's a form in your eyes. There's a perception in your mind. Not to say there's no form, no perception. <laughs> Not to say there's nobody there, you know? It's not you know talking about an abstract space in the sky. You're talking a very specific experience that's happening now. Now how do you address that experience? It very much depends on what's the what's the quality of that experience. Is it is it something that's that's loving, caring, attentive, wise, discriminative? Is it something that's kind of blind, impulsive, grumpy, irritable? This is this is the Nexus of it. this is the nub of it, isn't it? This is something where we feel, you know, kind of judged or or disliked or, or whatever. So those are the you one addresses that in your, what else can you do? And if one doesn't address that, then what happens is What's it like when you don't address that? There's a person there, isn't there? And it's something you you know, there's kind of store things in the back that you you kind of half feel, but you, either you don't, you're only aware of, or you're vaguely aware of. You don't really want to be aware of them. The kind of little sort of secretive feelings or thoughts or intonations. So you're sort of not really fully conscious of that. Some of them seem to be quite, you know, dreadful or, or, or disturbing. But what I would suggest is that through the, the training, the more fully one is aware, the less there's the possibility for those patterns to keep being reborn and recycled. so all of us we have uh, things that we uh, like and attribute in each other enjoy in each other, things that we find confusing or worrying or upsetting in each other mm. now to a certain extent one can attribute that to other people's behaviour physical form, manner and so on this is, we say this is just a residual karma. to a certain extent you can say this is also attributable to my longing or my fear or my worry. This is something I can be responsible for and work with. This is a place where it ceases, where that ceases. So I'd find, you know, just kind of so, obviously, say a kind of being a, a, a male, being a man, then you tend to find, say, female, female form, more, something that you're more attracted to than a male form. One level, something you kind of instinctively more, as a kind of as a something that you kind of see or conceive of or imagine, something more attractive. And the, the male form. But then, if you really contemplate that form rather than in making a whole kind of person out of it, which is a very blurred and shifting experience, because when you start to what is a person, you, it's gone, you know. It's there as long as it's like a mirror, if you're trying to get it, you think, well, it's. So, you, if you see a form as a form, Through fully seeing a form, there isn't any attraction or repulsion to it, because it, it's a form, it's, it has no, nothing more than that. But if you don't see it as a form, then there's room in that blurring for the whole kind of cycle of proliferation to occur. By full awareness, not by avoiding the form, by seeing form as form you abide in the emptiness of it as form there is no particular residual quality to it other than that it is formative it is formed shaped it is neither attractive nor repulsive it does not belong to anybody it does not exist either but that is through real full awareness of it, so there's a letting go of all kinds of imaginations and perceptions and worries and doubts, there's a kind of real confidence